because we've really kind of been on a journey in the preaching. It started a few months ago with a seven words from the cross, and we introduced many of you to Jesus for the first time. Uh, that was wonderful. It was a wonderful series. Of, that series is still uh, lighting me up in so many ways. And then we kind of moved out of that, and we're moving into a time where uh, we're just teaching the doctrines of Christianity, what Christians believe. And so last two weeks, we've been on the Trinity. We've talked about God the Father, Jesus Christ, and this week we're moving into the Holy Spirit. As we do that, I want to give you a statement that kind of sums up the Trinity in some way, even though you can't really do that, but I think it's a helpful statement when you consider the roles of the Trinity. And you might want to write this down if you want. It's God's purposes are accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of of the Holy Spirit. So God's purposes are always accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, For instance, you know, we've always known that God created the heavens and the earth. Well, last week, Pastor walked through Jesus Christ and his role in his deity, and, and we see that, okay, well, Jesus Christ, he accomplished that through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth. So God's purposes are always accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. But if you just leave it at that, that's not a trinity. That's a duo. That's a duet. I don't know what that is, but it's not a trinity. So you got to add in by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's our doctrinal statement on the Holy Spirit. It says, we believe in the personality of the Holy Spirit and his ministry of conviction, regeneration, empowerment, and indwelling. So after you move out of the Gospels and you move into the book of Acts, you start seeing a lot about the Holy Spirit. Spirit. You see it right here in Acts 1, verse 3, right out of the gate. After his suffering, so after the cross of Jesus Christ, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So there was a period of, period of time before Jesus ascended into heaven, 40 days between his resurrection, between Easter and him ascending, where he would appear to the disciples and his followers And he would give them final instruction and really build their faith. And it says that he had convincing proofs that he was indeed Jesus Christ resurrected. So like the disciples would be in a room with the door locked and Jesus would just walk right through the wall. And his first line was always the same, peace be with you. Now, why did he have to say peace be with you? Because they were absolutely freaking out that some guy just walked through the wall. And he would show his hands and his feet to his followers. He'd say, yeah, put your hand in my side. It's me. It's Jesus Christ. The guy you were following before resurrected from the dead. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, again, between the resurrection and the ascension, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And I can just see him. Like if this were on DVD, Jesus is looking right at Peter and he's saying, wait. I know you feel terrible about denying me at the crucifixion. You want to go out and rectify that? Wait. Nobody go anywhere. He continues, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he says, I'm preparing you for something during these 40 days. And I want to explain to you what Jesus was preparing them for. To do that, I really need to set this up with some teaching. 
Now, this, this series is really teaching heavy. We're just trying to fill you up with sound doctrine, with a lot of truth. So I need to do some teaching. We're going to go in kind of a few directions. We'll circle back around to the Holy Spirit. So hang on with me. I want to start here with the Jewish uh, people and, the, and their feasts. The Jewish people celebrated three feasts throughout the year. And feasts were simply holidays. You could think about them that way. They would stop and remember something, much like our July 4th. You know, we stop. We have a, a national holiday where we stop. We feast. We remember something that happened. We honor it. We keep it in our mind. And they had three feasts that corresponded with the journey that God took the children of Israel on. And they were slaves in Egypt. The first feast is God is saying, just, I want you to remember. I'm just going to kind of set this up, then I'll give you the fill-ins here. He says, I want you to remember when, when you were in Egypt and you were enslaved and, and the death angel was coming. And, but if you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, you would not die. The death angel would pass over you. So we're going to have a feast and we're going to call it Passover. They also celebrated another holiday 50 days later. It was simply a holiday to remember that event that took place after they were out of Egypt, where God gives them the law, gives them the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, cloud comes down over fire, God shows his power, carves the law into the mountain, and he showed up with a new way of living. Moses comes down and says, this is the new way of living, we're not going to live like slaves in Egypt, we're not going to live in slavery, we're God's holy people now, these are how we ought to live. Then they had another feast or festival at the end of the year around the harvest season called Tabernacles. And this Tabernacle holiday is just to remember the period after they got the law, but before they went into the promised land, and which is today Israel. And what happened is they had 40 years of camping out as God prepared them for the promised land. And God says, I want you to have a holiday that remembers those 40 years. It's called Tabernacles. So let me explain to you these feasts and hopefully kind of explain to you a little bit of the question, what what part of the Old Testament do we follow exactly today? Well, the principles still apply, but the practices don't. So we don't do away with it completely, but the, the practices don't really apply. God's fulfilled them, but it still has a lot of meaning in our lives because God hasn't changed. And so the principles still apply. Jesus said it this way. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. They still have a role in our lives. So let's talk about these feasts, and I think you're going to get excited about it. The first feast was a feast called Passover. Here's a few characteristics of Passover. It's not in your notes, but the Passover lamb was sacrificed at 9 a.m., So on that Friday or that Passover day, early in the day, they would get the lamb, they would cut the throat of the lamb, spill the blood, and it would take place at exactly 9. And then the lamb was put in the oven at 3 p.m. And that would be the meal that the family and friends would eat that night. And the sacrifice covered their sins. So the sacrifice of the lamb would symbolize a covering of sin. So here's your sin, and the blood of the lamb covers it, still there. But you don't see it anymore because it's covered in the blood of the lamb. Notice how Jesus fulfills this feast. Jesus was sacrificed at 9 a.m. Jesus was put on the cross, nails in his hands and feet at 9, and the lamb was sacrificed. And at 3 p.m., Jesus cries his last statement from the cross. They take him down and they put him in the tomb. And his sacrifice not only covers our sins, but not only covers our sins, it removes our sins, and he sees them no more. And every one of us 
man, we appreciate that. We understand that. We see the connection. We receive Jesus. We recognize the cross and the sacrifice. Maybe someone would say, Ryland, you're taking an event in Jesus and trying to line it up with something in the Old Testament. No, even the Apostle Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Bible says he came to fulfill every detail and then some. And the second feast was the Feast of Pentecost. And the penta part means five. Costi means to the tenth. So it's 50th. The word Passover means 50. Because the holiday was to take place 50 days or seven weeks about after Passover. And it was a celebration. And it has its own set of characteristics. A cloud descended with loud noise and fire. You can go back to the book of Exodus and read this. Cloud descended with a loud noise, a fire, a ball of fire comes out. God riding his law into the mountain and then comes out on tablets of stone. 3,000 people died that day because if you remember, God's power shows up. Moses comes down with the law and many are worshiping a golden calf. They've given glory to an idol. So the the ground opens up and swallows 3,000 people and they died and God establishes the nation of Israel. Now, let me show you how that's become fulfilled in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descended with a loud noise, sound, and fire. And God wrote his law, not on an external stone, not an external book. Big distinction. He says, I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to put it inside of you. And I'll come back to that. And 3,000 didn't die that day. 3,000 people got saved. And there was the first church service, and God establishes his church. So you can see that the Holy Spirit didn't show up in some random way. This wasn't just a random thing or just a show of force or something like that. It was fulfilling something. It was a promise fulfilled. It was intentional. It was intentional. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, the 50th day, after, the re- after Jesus' resurrection, he's around 40 days, and he tells them to wait 10. They were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like, so it, it wasn't this, it was like this. The blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. So it wasn't tongues of fire, but it looked like tongues of fire. that separated and came to rest. And this was the promise coming to pass. It says the, the, the fire didn't come and rest on a mountain. It came and rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They started speaking in other people's languages. We'll come back to this, but I really kind of want to finish these feasts because I think you're going to love seeing this. The Feast of Tabernacles is the third one. And this was a holiday to remember that they didn't live in permanent homes. So after the law was given and they're wandering around in the desert, they're not in permanent homes. They're living in temporary huts until they were brought to their final home and they celebrated it with the harvest season. It was also called the Feast of Trumpets. And the feast, this feast is yet to be fulfilled. The other two have been fulfilled. This one is yet to be fulfilled. But we'll see it. It's Christ's return. We're we're living on this temporary earth. Hello, anybody? Anyone glad today? Earth is not our permanent home. This is not the final place. Apostle Paul says we're strangers here. I mean, this is why this, some of this stuff makes no sense to us. We as believers are like, what's going on? We're strangers here. We're aliens. 
But we will be brought to our final home in heaven, and there will be a great harvest of people. So just before Jesus returns, a ton of people are going to get saved. And I just want to pause and tell you today, I'm not predicting that this is going to happen today or anytime really soon, but I will tell you it could, because there's a great harvest going on on the earth. And you probably didn't see it on a feed in your phone this morning, and you probably didn't see it on the news last night or today, because actually in America... It's not happening at the rate it is worldwide, but there's a massive harvest and the church is growing at 6.9% every year. That's, that's almost three times faster than population growth. The church is growing faster than Islam. I don't care what you hear. And I tell you that to tell you that the church is doing good. The church is doing well and God is not failing and the Holy Spirit has not given up and the church is not failing Today in China, and just in China, alone, it's happening worldwide, but just today in China, 30,000 new converts. Isn't that awesome? And it could be that God is preparing to fulfill this feast. Peter said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But God wants everybody to repent. So Christian, lift your head up high. Live with confidence. Church is doing well. There'll be a trumpet sound when Christ returns. I want to show you this in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And the voice of the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. So every grave of Every believer is going to pop open, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever, and the Feast of Tabernacles will be fulfilled. It's going to happen. Jesus is coming back on that white horse, and you can put your money on that horse, (laughs) because it's going to happen. So here we are. We understand that. Yep, Jesus died for me. You say, I get the whole Passover thing. I'm, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm free in Christ. Many of us are confused about Pentecost and confused about the Holy Spirit. So I want to bring some clarity to you about something that is wonderful because the feast of Pentecost has also been fulfilled. Now, can you go to heaven without this understanding? Absolutely you can. It's the blood of Jesus that gives you a right standing before God, gives you righteousness, and saves you at the judgment seat, and gets you into heaven. And, you know, we ask the question, if you were to die tonight, are you absolutely certain where you'd spend eternity? We asked that question, great question, we asked it in the last series, but today that's not that question, because most of us aren't going to die tonight. In fact, hopefully every one of us is going to wake up tomorrow morning. And the question is, if you wake up tomorrow morning, do you have what it takes? Can you pull this thing off? The Bible says the devil's prowling around like a lion. Do you have what it takes to stand up to the lion? Do you have what it takes to walk through a world where flaming arrows are coming your way? On the day of Pentecost, when God poured out the Holy Spirit, not many understood it. In fact, there was a bunch of people that just started mocking them and saying, they're they're all drunk. Peter stood up and said, no, they're not drunk. 
And the Bible says that the people looking on were amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? So I want to answer this question. What does this mean? In our doctrinal statement, it says that God wants to empower you. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to empower you. What does he empower you to do? Three things. Number one, by the way, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. So he, the Holy Spirit, empowers me to live righteously. Pentecost was all about the law being given in Exodus. He gives them a book of instructions, but really, I mean, we can't live up to that. In fact, the law shows that we can't do it, to have this external book and to do the best you can and to live a perfect life, not going to happen. So God says, instead, I'm going to give them not an external set of laws, I'm going to put it inside of them. Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Don't let that confuse you. That means that it simply means you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're going to see it the way God sees it. You're going to understand it the way God understands it. You're going to look at the world and you're not going to be fearful or confused like the rest of the world. You're going to see it. God's going to put a new understanding inside of you. Some of you would say, I need a new understanding because this Christianity thing is wearing me out. You might say, I don't, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But living the Christian life is just too hard. It's too much of a struggle. I don't want to do it. And the Lord wants to change that. He wants to give you a new motivation to where it can go from something you really don't want to do to something you actually really want to do. And it brings you enjoyment and fulfillment. Have you ever wondered why some Christians are just really grumpy? Has anyone, has anyone, come on, raise your hand, ever encountered a grumpy Christian? Anyone encountered a mean, grumpy Christian? I've got a theory on, you see, I grew up in church, so I got a healthy fear of Christians. I do. And I've got a theory on why some Christians are grumpy and mean. It's because they really want to sin, but they can't. (laughs) They really want to. But when God puts his Holy Spirit in you, the whole motivation changes, and that struggle is released. And it's a joy to follow God. I love how the Apostle Paul puts this. It's found in Romans 8. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Anyone felt like, I just, I can't please God. I can't do it. I try. I can't please him. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you. And he was saying this to Christians. He's saying some Christians are still controlled by the sinful nature. It says, but some are controlled by the spirit of God. And they're still tempted. Yes, they are still tempted. The devil is still out to get them. The world of flesh and the devil are working against them. But they're able to say, this, this temptation has no ground to stand on in front of me. And this temptation will not win because it doesn't control me anymore. I'm controlled by the Spirit of God. And he will empower you to live righteously. This isn't in your notes, but look at Colossians 1 with me. It says, there's a mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Okay, before we move on, this is what it's saying. It's saying there's a mystery, and they didn't know it before. The prophets, they didn't know it. 
David, he didn't know it. Daniel, he didn't know it. Ruth, Esther, they didn't know it. Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, it doesn't say Christ and you. God isn't fired up about Christ and you. He's fired up about Christ in you. Christianity is not that I pull myself up and I pull this thing off for God. In fact, God says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that because one, you're going to go out and fail. And two, even if you didn't fail, I don't want people seeing how great you are. And I don't want people thinking, wow, what a great guy he is. And God says, no one needs more Ryland Walter. He says, I want them seeing you do something that everyone knows you can't really do. And they'll give me glory because I am in you. You see, there's a gospel floating around that says Christ died for you. Now go out and live for him. And that's not a good gospel because Christ died for you so that he could then come live his life inside of you. And the same life that saves you at the end, at the judgment seat, is the same life that saves you today by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul goes on in Colossians 2.6. He says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live your lives in him. So how did you receive Christ Jesus? You said yes to him. You didn't clean yourself up. You didn't pull yourself together. You didn't just earn a right standing with God. You said yes to the free gift of righteousness and salvation from Jesus Christ. So how do you live the Christian life? The same exact way. You say yes to him today. You say Spirit, I'm going to allow you to convict me. I'm going to allow you to direct me. I'm going to give control over to you. You say, I'm, I'm done trying to figure this out by myself. You say, I'm done trying to hang on to God and salvation, but really kind of do life my own way anyway. You say, no, I'm, I'm done trying to figure this out myself, and I'm going to do it God's way. Christ in me, Christ is in me, and I am in Christ. How is that possible? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the operational life of Christ in the believer. Number two, he empowers me to live supernaturally. God never intended his people to live and operate by only what they can understand and do. I don't know what your experience has been here at Rockbrook, but I want to tell you about the truth of what you're experiencing here. And we remind ourselves all the time that we could be at our best, but if God doesn't move, it's worthless. And we could be at our worst, and if God moves, it's all worthwhile. And we've had people say, they'll say, I can't explain it to you. These things don't, they don't make sense to me. But they'll say, as I've made a habit of gathering with the church, of meeting with my small group, of taking steps to obey Christ, as I've made a habit of, of serving and of tithing and of They'll say, it doesn't make sense on paper. It doesn't add up, and it doesn't add up in my mind. But as I let go of my control of the way I want to do things, and I release that, and I embrace God's way of living life, they say, There's, there is a presence and a power that is unmistakable in my life. And some of you are facing impossible situations, and you need a God that can do the impossible. And I don't think anyone in this room wants to serve a powerless God. We want to serve a powerful God. But some of us have been turned off by the way the church has packaged and presents the Holy Spirit and his power. 
and, and we're just kind of weirded out by it sometimes. But can I just tell you something? The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird. And people need grace, and we need grace. But Jesus said, somebody's coming, and someone's coming for you, and he's going to testify to truth, and he's going to bring you to truth. And there are going to be days where truth is hard to come by. And there's someone coming, a voice that will say, here is the way, walk in it, and don't ignore it, because you're going to need it. So don't, exper- don't ignore the Spirit, because you serve a God that still does miracles and still does the impossible. Acts 2.19, I will show wonders. We serve a God of wonders. You want to know what a wonder is? It's when something happens, God does something, and you say, I wonder how that happened. A wonder is that I can't sum up God on a bumper sticker. And wonder is that I'm diving into this book, and I'm learning this book, and I'm pulling revelation out of this book, but more often than not, it leaves me at a place of wonder where I say, God, I thank you for what I know, and I know you're the way, the truth, and the life. And that's enough for me. And I praise you for what I don't know because there's more going on than I understand. And you're doing more than I can control. And I praise you for it. It says, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. In other words, the glory of God is showing up to rescue marriages, to restore lives. And you can say, God did a miracle in your life and God wants to enable you to live a supernatural life. We need it more than ever. In fact, he says, I'll send signs and wonders to confirm the word. So as Christians, we were never supposed to go out to people and say, I'm a Christian, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to prove it to you. No, as believers, we go out, we lift the name of Jesus, we give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'll confirm it by changing your life and transforming theirs too. And you might say, that sounds great, but Ryland, I don't like it when you talk about a changed life and a transformed life because I like my life. I don't want it to change. I don't want it transformed. Well, you can go live a natural life where you understand everything and you're in control of everything, but I just as soon serve a God of wonders that can transform and change my life into Christ-likeness where I can live a supernatural life, not a natural life. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. My message And my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Although they could have been. Paul was a genius. He was a brilliant man. But he says with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom. But on God's power. Some of you need to experience the power of God. And to do that you need to let go of what you're trying to control and hold on to. And you need to just say, I'm done trying to make this fit my box and God's box. And I'm done trying to control this thing and release it. Do it God's way and experience supernatural power. Number three, he empowers me to fulfill his mission. The Holy Spirit is the horsepower of the mission of God. The mission of Christ to the nations of the world. Do you want to know the real sign of the Holy Spirit? It's people being saved. It's people coming to Christ. Acts 2.21, and everyone who calls on the name will be saved. And at that, 3,000 were saved at Peter's invitation. 
1 Thessalonians 1.5, our God came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. People are convicted and directed to give their lives to Christ, not because of, of good preaching, not because of good music, but because the Holy Spirit convicts and compels them to do it. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So when the Holy Spirit comes, and this is how you really know that the Holy Spirit is among people, when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't want to make it all about the Holy Spirit. He's going to exalt Jesus' name and testify about the one whom it is all about. And the Spirit loves to testify Jesus. So if you go to a Holy Spirit-filled church, if you've got a Holy Spirit-filled church, you don't have a church that's talking about the Holy Spirit all day long. You have a church that's talking about Jesus all day long and testifying Jesus. And that's how you know the Spirit is on the scene and in the work of the hearts of the people. And when the community is hearing Jesus' name, you know he's on the scene. So as Rockbrook a Holy Spirit-filled church? Absolutely, of course. I would just listen to all the witnessing and preaching and singing and testifying of Jesus' name. When the Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill his mission, when the Spirit comes, people get going. I mean, it wasn't a minute after the sound filled that house and fire fell that people were speaking in other people's languages of every person represented in that city there for the festival. And instantaneously upon the Holy Spirit coming, global missions was happening. And Pentecost is about empowering believers with supernatural ability to fulfill an important mission so we can make a difference together. So let's be a church. Let's be Christians who say, yeah, we're going to experience Passover. We're going to celebrate the blood of the Lamb and our freedom, and our salvation. And let's be a church that doesn't get bogged down with all the bad news out there, but we put our hope in the Feast of Tabernacles being fulfilled and the promise of God coming and making things right. Let's also experience Pentecost. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So if you flip over your outline again, you look at our doctrinal statement. It says the ministry of the Holy Spirit is is to convict. In other words, he wants to correct, he wants to guide your life. Not in your way, but actually in God's way, in a way that works. And regeneration, he wants to put new life inside of you. He says, you don't, you're not supposed to pull this thing off by yourself. He says, I, I want to be inside of you. The empowerment, he wants to empower you to do these things. And indwelling, the Holy Spirit is the operational life of Christ inside the believer. Because Christ is alive, that's how the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. And how do you get it? How do you activate it in your life? Again, the Holy Spirit is not going to empower you to do your mission. 
He's going to empower you to do God's mission. He's not going to empower you to do it your way. He's going to empower you to do it his way. It's possible. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the power of Passover, the fulfillment of Passover in our lives, that once and for all, never again will the lamb have to die because Jesus died once and for all for all sins. Thank you that we're going to hear a trumpet sound, that we're going to be with every person who is on the other side. God, we embrace that, but we also come to you and embrace the person of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of Pentecost. And God, we just confess to you, we recognize that you want to empower us, but you can't do, can't do it unless we give you the latitude to do it in our lives, unless we give over our lives to you and do it your way. God, we thank you that you want to empower your church to live righteously, to walk supernaturally, to make a difference in the world around us. We don't want man's wisdom. We don't want man's effort. We want you. So anyone whose gospel is today that they're just mustering up the strength to make it through, I pray that they would see that there's nothing between them and you but grace and that they would just hand over every area of life and see what you can do. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.